Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Isaiah 55 is reminding us of that very invitation that God has extended to you and to me and to each and every person. Why do you buy food that can't satisfy? Why do you labor for the things that will never be able to fulfill you? That's the question. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapters 54 through 57. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, all right, so we're picking up in Isaiah. We're going to finish Isaiah here in uh, maybe even next week for sure. The following week, we'll finish Isaiah 66 chapters. So we've been on quite a journey through Isaiah here. And we looked at the great uh, 53rd chapter of Isaiah that the suffering servant, the foundational chapter really for for everything in the sense that it is the chapter that deals most explicitly with how our sins were atoned for, how redemption took place through the offering of Jesus Christ, offering himself up, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and so forth. And of course, we understand that. We know that. That's been applied to us as Christians. But remember, Isaiah was a Jewish prophet. And for the nation of Israel, even to this very day, these great truths that we know and live in and enjoy, they have not yet entered into that because of their continued unbelief. But they will in the future. Eventually, they will come into that place. And as we pick up in chapter 54, that is where we're actually picking up at. We're picking up at the the time in the future when the Jewish nation embraces the Savior who suffered and there is a great harvest and a a great fruitful work of God's Spirit that brings about the salvation of multitudes. So that's what Isaiah 54 begins with. Rejoice, childless one who did not give birth, burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. So the married woman was Israel before God set them aside, before he rejected them because of their, because of their unbelief and because of their unfaithfulness to him. So he rejected them. He set them aside. And yet he will bring the nation back to himself. But the nation that he brings back to himself will be like this barren woman who now for these 2,000 years has not birthed any children for the Lord. But that is all going to change when the nation turns once again to Christ. And so that's why it says the children of the desolate will be more than the children of the married woman. The married woman being Israel 
prior to the rejection of the Messiah, the, the desolate woman being, being Israel in, in the future when the Lord restores. And so verse two, enlarge the site of your tent and let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep for you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. So th- this is a picture, of course, many people uh, lived um, in tents at that time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they dwelt in tents. They were, they were like what we would know today as the Bedouin tribes. And so the description that's being given here is that of enlarging the tent space. And so why are they being called to enlarge the tent space? Because of the fruit, because of the multitude of descendants that are now coming forth. So basically, it's uh, a picture of the prosperity, the spiritual prosperity that will come to the people. But you know, this passage has been one of those passages that God has used to speak to his people throughout the generations. And, you know, just the idea, I know even a few times in my own experience, this picture, this very text has spoken to me, the Lord saying, you know, expand, I'm going to do something fresh, I'm going to do something new and prepare for it. I think that this is a time where we would do what it, what it says here, that we would enlarge the site of our tent, that we would expect that God is going to do great things in the days ahead. So don't be afraid, verse four, for you will not be put to shame. Don't be humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and you will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. So all of the past, all of the humiliation, all of the suffering, all of the things that the nation has been through as a result of their being rejected by the Lord because of their rejection of him, all of that is gonna be forgotten. That's what he's talking about here. Indeed, your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of armies, the Holy One of Israel, He is your redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and wounded in spirit, a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. So God calling Israel back to himself when they are in this state of total dejection. And really, if we think about the future, when God restores Israel to himself, we know it's going to be in the context of, of intense conflict and they will be under intense persecution and they will be in this same kind of a sense like a, like a young wife that's been rejected and yet the Lord at that moment will bring them back into the covenant. God says, I deserted you for a brief moment, but I will take you back with abundant compassion. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but I will have compassion on you with everlasting love, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me. 
when I swore that the water of Noah would never flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. So God, I I like this um, allusion back to the flood and back to Noah. And incidentally, uh, this is one of those places where you see that the prophet certainly thought the flood was a real thing. And actually, the prophet is the voice of the Lord. God is speaking. And God is speaking here about a flood. And he's speaking about a person named Noah. And I, I bring that out because, of course, there are so many that reject the idea of a worldwide flood. They say that the story of Noah is just mythology. They would even sometimes think it's it's just they're restricted to the early chapters of Genesis. And so those chapters are full of myths and so forth. But here in Isaiah, we see a reference to Noah. We see a reference to the flood. And, And then, of course, Jesus, he referenced Noah. And Jesus spoke of Noah as though he was an actual historical person and the flood as a historical event. So even though there's a ton of skepticism about that outside the church, obviously, but even in the church, there are people that are reluctant to believe in a, in a worldwide flood. Isaiah spoke about it here. The Lord spoke through him about it. So I think that we want to hold fast to what the scriptures say and not be too worried about the opinions of um, people these days. A lot of skepticism in our world, but there's no need for us to be skeptical. Hey, if the Lord said there was a man named Noah and he spoke about the days of Noah, and if Jesus is who we believe he is, then we can have every bit of confidence that Noah did live. And that's why God is referencing the days of Noah here. So verse 11, poor Jerusalem, storm-tossed and not comforted, I will set your stones in black mortar and lay your foundations in lapis lazuli. I will make your fortifications out of rubies, your gates of sparkling stones and all of your walls out of precious stones. You know, this lapis lazuli, this is actually a stone. It's a reference to a stone. The older translations, I, I can't remember what, what the word is here for this particular stone, but lapis lazuli is certainly not it. This is in more of the newer translations. And I remember when I first read this a few years ago, I I read lapis lazuli. I thought, what on earth is that? And as I was thinking about it, I, I said to Cheryl at one point, I said, hey, do you know what this is? And it was so funny because just immediately she said, of course I know what that is. It's a stone. And when I was 12 years old, my mom got me, you know, she went to tell me this whole story about lapis lazuli. And I thought, wow, I am, you know, 60 years old and I've never heard of this. And now my wife's telling me that she actually had one of these stones when she was a young girl. So that was a, a revelational moment for me. But it's just talking about these precious stones that are going to adorn the city of the Lord in the future. Now, he goes on and he says, then all your children will be taught by the Lord. Their prosperity will be great and you will be established on a foundation of righteousness. Uh, 
You will be far from oppression. You will certainly not be afraid. You will be far from terror. It will certainly not come near you if anyone attacks you. It is not from me. Whoever attacks you will fall before you. Look, I have created the craftsman who blows on the charcoal fire and produces a weapon suitable for its task. And I have created the destroyer to cause havoc, but no weapon formed against you will prosper or succeed. So this is the promise. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to adorn your, I'm going to adorn you with these beautiful gems. And, and if someone attacks you, it will not be because I sent them. And, and as a matter of fact, I will repel them and they will never succeed. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. So this is the promise for the nation in the future that when God brings them into the covenant, they will both be forever then settled into that covenant with him and under his care and under his protection. And so, but this passage, verse 17, no weapon formed against you will succeed or prosper and you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants and their vindication is from me, says the Lord. So, This is, again, another one of those passages that have been such a blessing to so many of God's people. And, and, you know, as we have made our way through Isaiah, we find that there are these these texts that are there that stand out to us. These are the texts that have often been applied by the Holy Spirit to God's people in various experiences. So just, I, I think of even... As a newer Christian, I remember this verse speaking to me, ministering to me, encouraging me. No weapon formed against you will prosper. God is on our side. God is for us. God is watching over us. And we can have confidence in his protection. And so that, it was, again, is ultimately applied to Israel, but it certainly has application to us today. We are the Lord's people, and these are his words for us. Chapter 55, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest food of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness that I've shown to David. So again, what an amazing text here. The invitation, come. This is uh, very similar to the invitation we have at the book of Revelation. This is similar to the invitations that Jesus said. Maybe you remember on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that great day, it says Jesus stood up, stood up in the midst of the people and he cried out and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so that's really an echo of what the Lord spoke through Isaiah here. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. Come buy and eat, buy wine and milk 
without silver and without cost. So this is really God's offer to all people. Anyone that's thirsty, anyone that's hungry, come and receive from the Lord. And notice there, it, it's free. It's the gift of God. These are, these are just different ways of describing aspects of salvation. As we come to know Christ and put our faith and our trust in him, that deep thirst in life, that insatiable desire is, is met. And so, as Jesus said, if you drink this water, if you drink the water that the world offers, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. And come and eat, buy food and eat. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the one who feeds on me will never hunger. And that is the promise. And, and this beautiful, picturesque description here in Isaiah 55 is reminding us of that very invitation that God has extended to you and to me and to each and every person. Why do you buy food that can't satisfy? Why do you labor for the things that will never be able to fulfill you? That's the question. The Lord says, come to me and, and I will give you that which does satisfy. And that's, that's the beautiful reality of the gift of God, the gift of God being eternal life. And when we come and we receive that gift from God through Christ, then we who have done that, we know the reality of the fact that our thirst has been quenched and our, our hunger has been satiated. And we long to see others come and have that same experience. The invitation is open to all as we see here. And so since I have made him a witness to the peoples and a leader and a commander of the peoples. Now here, it's going back to the covenant on the basis of the faithful kindness of David. David here is not David the king, but David here is the descendant of David. Remember, Jesus was called son of David. They said, son of David, have mercy on me. And the reference here to David is the reference to the son of David, the reference to the Lord who is the witness to the people, a leader and a commander of the people. And so you will summon a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you will run to you for the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel has glorified you. Now here in um, verses six and seven, these are some of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible in regard to God's mercy and God's grace toward sinners. Listen to what it says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one forsake their way and the unrighteous or the sinful one their thoughts. And listen, let them return to the Lord so he may have compassion on them and to our God, 
for he will freely forgive. This is the amazing thing about this. This is an invitation to those who have fallen away, to those who have drifted away, to those who have turned away, to those who have ended up in in sin. And so often when a person is in that place, the devil comes along and wants them to think that there is no turning back, that there is no hope, that there is no forgiveness, that there is no more mercy. But this passage says the exact opposite. It is an invitation to those who are wicked and sinful to return to the Lord. Amazing. And, you know, the the reality is we are all, by nature, we are wicked and sinful. And yet it's for that very reason that Jesus had to die. He had to die for our sins because we couldn't do anything to deal with our sin. We couldn't do anything to, to cover our sin. But Christ did that. He came to save sinners. And that's each and every one of us. And, and even those who have, like I said a moment ago, even those who have drifted away, fallen away, however you want to describe it, maybe that's even you. Maybe you're someone who you once walked with the Lord. And you're not now, but somehow you're, you're tuning in. Somehow you're watching and listening. And, and God's actually been drawing you back. And, and yet you've been apprehensive. You're, you're fearful. You don't know if, if that's even really possible. You hope that it is, but maybe you're afraid that it's not. Well, listen, here's the good news. It is possible because right here, God gives that call to seek him while he may be found and to call on him while he is near. And so there are those moments, there are those opportune times that come along in our lives. And it's important that we recognize those times and we we act decisively at those times and we return to the Lord. And how does God treat us when we return to him? He has compassion on us and he freely Uh, forgives us, or the New King James Version, he abundantly pardons us. Abundantly pardons. I love that. It's not just, okay, I I guess I'll, all right, you know, I'll, I'll let you come back this time. But no, he abundantly pardons us. He pours out in abundance his mercy upon those who return to him. And, and we look at that and we think, well, how could that be? That just doesn't even seem like that could be possible. And that's exactly what the next verse says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. That's true because we don't think that way, do we? We think that when a person has fallen away or, you know, turned their back on the Lord or gone back into sin, we just think, well, that's it. But no, God says, no, I will abundantly pardon. There's mercy, there's forgiveness.
month of September. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. Have you ever been wronged or hurt to the point that it's difficult to forgive the person or people that hurt you? Why is it so difficult to forgive those who have hurt us? In his book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Timothy Keller explains why forgiveness is so important. He also explains what forgiveness is and the various ways it's been misunderstood culturally, both inside and outside the church. Timothy Keller will help you truly understand all the dimensions of forgiveness. You'll learn the principles of forgiveness and the practical ways to practice forgiveness in your own life as you move towards relational reconciliation with others. If you want to know why forgiveness is so important and how you can forgive others who have hurt you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.